Hi, Jens here. Are you interested in innovation? This might be something for you too. Every Friday, I share the latest innovation articles, ideas, videos, books, podcasts, and more that I discovered during the week in my newsletter, Connect the Dots. If you subscribe, you will receive an email into your inbox every Friday. You can't find the newsletter anywhere else, so you have to subscribe if you want to receive it. Head over to jensheitland.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up. But now, let's get started with the podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Jens Heitland Show where I connect the dots of innovation and entrepreneurship. My name is Jens Heitland and welcome to the show. Today's guest is a business innovator for processes and system. He's the host of the podcast, The Next Wave. Please welcome to the show, Lukas Szostek. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me. You know, I'm, I'm usually on the other end, so uh, yeah, I know. a new feeling for me. <laughs> it's, it's great that you take the time. So... Tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? What is what is your story? Oh, and uh, not a not a very long version. It's I think it's worth starting with my second job, which was at Philips Research in the Netherlands, in the city of Eindhoven, and I spent there ten years, basically there, and later at NXP Research, which was the offshoot from Philips, basically doing R and D work. And by research, I mean, let's see if physics allows us to do, you know, transmission 10 times faster than the current standard is. Mm. Stuff like that. So that uh, put innovation very early on my kind of professional landscape. And then, uh, then I came back to Poland and spent again two years in innovation in Orange Labs. Orange, like the, the telecom provider. And then I became a freelancer. And <laughs> as you know, this was an, an interesting story with ups and downs. And I was, I started in the kind of agility, agile area before it was all super hyped mm. because I discovered that, you know, this way of working where you can plan only a little bit and then you have to do stuff and then see how it works. The way we do re we did research always because there is no other way. It apparently has a name and it has frameworks and there are people who, uh, who are struggling with that. So I decided, whoa, let's, let's see. That's something I feel. So I had to learn, you know, the vocabulary and the, the new words for stuff I kind of felt. And I ran with this for a while. And then I found at the Agile conference, I found I met a person called Tom Gilb, and it was a really good presentation. There is actually, it, there is a recording of that presentation. We can give you the, the link later. So maybe some of the viewers or the listeners would be interested. Some Tom came on stage and he had a, like 40 minutes talk. And during the first 10 minutes, I already felt offended two or three times in my professional pride. By the time he was finished, I was uh, a believer in his message. And this was the, the last part of my career is about 
figuring out not so much how we should build stuff, like from the technical perspective or from the organizational perspective, like the agility, but what is worth building in the first place? Because if we build the wrong things, it doesn't matter how good it works, how great we did this, it's just, you know, nobody is going to use it or pay for it. Yeah. So that's, I think, the, the most compressed version of my professional career I can give you. How did you end up in, in the Netherlands in the first place? Oh, I went there to continue my education. So I did master's in, uh, in Poland at the University of Technology. I worked for a bit in, who was it? It was Alcatel. They were making telephonic, we were making, building telephone exchanges. And I learned from a friend with whom I was studying. He basically told me, you know, here in Netherlands, you can come back for another two years of study. You get another title something between a master's and a PhD, and they will pay you for this study. And then I said, all right, where do I sign? This job is not that interesting. Where do I sign? <laughs> so I went there, I, uh, I did this study, and the last part of the study was basically an assignment, a proper project in industry, and I happened to do my in Philips research. I like the work, they like me, and I just basically stayed and what, what, of what the rest of the career what keeps you busy today's time you know what when you, if you publish this uh, soon enough after uh, after the recording of these conversations this will be my coming out of the closet because on linkedin linkedin i'm still an independent consultant but i have joined a company called tilko t y l k o and we do furniture custom furniture you basically you know measure the, the space on your wall, you put it into the, I think you can also take a picture with a phone and then you configure, you know, just the perfect furniture that you want to have and it will arrive in a number of boxes and it's easy, good quality, easy to put together. But that's not why I joined. I joined them because they liked that stuff that I was doing and they are just, you know, great people, great company, great culture. It was a tough decision, but I said, yeah, I'll pull this trigger. We'll see what comes out. Why was it a tough decision? You know, this freelancing part, gig that I had for years, I got used to it and I was quite happy with it. Of course, I didn't have, you know, clients all the time, but I had a lot of time in between the clients, you know, to do my own research, to do my own thinking, to meet people like you, you know, discuss stuff with fellow entrepreneurs. I've been involved in a, in a few startups, all of them failed. Hmm. And it was going good. I mean, it was really sustainable kind of uh, professional. It was really sustainable. My wife is also a successful freelancer. So that worked for us. Mm. Uh, yeah, but the guys from Tulco, they, they hit all the interesting points. So the work is interesting. The people are interesting. The stuff I said, you know, figuring out what we should do in the first place. That, that's part of the DNA of this company now. We define mm. a strategy like this. And we roll out now the strategy all the way through, uh, you know, almost 200 people of a company. So everyone knows how they are kind of, how their decisions are contributing to the big picture and to the company strategy. So this kind of alignment. And uh, I said, I have to walk the walk as well. Just see how it is when you leave the client after, you know, being a advisor or a, or a consultant mm -hmm. and see how it 
continues because normally, as, as you know as well, if you are consulting, it's so difficult to see the fruits of your labor. You can yeah. sow it, no, yeah, put some water. Maybe you can get some fertilizer in, but that's it. Maybe you meet these people a year later and you see, you know, ask them how, how it went. Yeah, I know what you talk about. So if, yeah. if, if we look into your career, you have been working in large corporations and as well on the other side, which is startup side. What was the difference for you from a learning perspective? That's a good question. No one asked me about this, but I've been thinking about this recently because uh, Tilco is a young company and there are like really young people there. You know, between the two of us, I might be the oldest person there. I, I didn't dare to check. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's missing anyhow, so it's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I see definitely really big advantages of seeing both of these worlds. So the first association people who, who never... Let me start differently. So the first association with big companies is like red tape, procedures, and basically inability to move quickly mm. or take, a, take decisions quickly. And that tends to be true. There are also advantages for that state for big companies. But as a person, at least I started with big companies, and what is helping now, I've seen how a company can be well organized. And on the other hand, with small companies, you move fast. You see how your decisions impact basically the, you know, the life, how your decisions can be the life or death of your own small company. But if you are successful and you grow, all these companies, they hit basically this threshold when they are around 30, between 30 and 40, probably, when they need to break some structure because it's not the case anymore that everyone can speak with everyone and everybody knows everything that is going on in the company. Yeah. And if you're only in small companies, only startups, you will not learn that lesson. And there is a big chance you will figure out that you need something when it's actually really late and you are in trouble and then you are growing and bringing this structure. People are not used to it. It can be really, really messy. So, yeah. you know, both of these worlds have they merits and their lessons to teach how do you see the world as an entrepreneur i i still see you as an entrepreneur even that you now work in a corporation again so how do you see the world uh, and what's going on in the world i see i would hope let me put it different i hope the pendulum of the you know let's be really really quick and how i think mark zuckerberg said you know you can break things as long as you build new ones I hope that pendulum is going to start swinging back because if I look at the products from big companies that used to be great that I'm using, like, you know, my pet peeves these days, Spotify and Google Maps, holy, are they difficult to use. And if you stop using them for like for a month, you come up to the button that was in the awkward position and it's not there. It's in some other awkward position that you now have to find. So I hope this will, I mean, I don't see the number of opportunities going down. You can still, if you have a good idea and a good plan and a good team, you can launch something really quickly. But I'm hoping we will kind of bring more of a proper upfront design and move away a little bit from A-B testing and let's quickly figure out, you know, which works, which, which doesn't work. Because if you think about these huge companies like Google or, or Spotify or Microsoft, if you really inconvenience, you know, a tiny 
percentage of a percentage of your users, it's still thousands of people, right? There was this story recently about this company. It's probably not that recent about the company who was doing, trying to translate IP addresses into geographical kind of locations. And of course they couldn't figure out everything. So they had to have some kind of default address and they put it smack in the middle of USA. It turns out there is a farm there. And not that farm that lives, I think a lady or a, or a couple, but I, I, I want to say that it was just kind of a lady and like really not technically uh, adept. She doesn't need this, you know, it's a, it's, it's a farm. And at the peak of this, she had basically hundreds of people knocking at her door saying that, you know, that there was a road or something like this. Somehow there was a connection between them. Some of them were basically, you know, very unpleasant, if not probably not dangerous, but for her, she had no idea what was going on. And she was just a one person inconvenience, but you know, the impact on her life was like terrible, right? Mm. Also a very recent story about uh, Google, about uh, worker unions at Google. Not sure if you, if you look at this, uh, but it I've seems like the premise is they would like the company to reflect the, the ethics of the employees. It's not about money like it used to be. Mm -hmm. And with the old uh, kind of the, the previous system worker unions, it's about they disagree with that, you know, the values that they represent are violated by the company. This is why they unionize. So between those two, I am hoping for maybe not less innovation, but more focused mm -hmm. and more focused progress. That would be my hope. If, if we already touch innovation, what, what is innovation for you? Oh, you know, we had a whole season of our podcast about this subject alone. <laughs> <laughs> There's a number of ways you could look at this. All models are wrong. Some of the models are useful. I like to use, when I'm thinking about innovation, I like to use two models at the same time. Mm -hmm. One is the kind of innovation we want to do, whether it's kind of a breakaway radical one or it's an incremental, because it usually makes a lot of sense, both from the business perspective, as also from like the technical perspective, it's, it, it, they are very different ones. But also I consider innovation, appropriating something which exists in one field into another field. Most of the time, this relates to kind of a business innovations, like you think Airbnb, right? This was a mix between two words, but it, it was something new. Maybe not revolutionary, not break away, but no one thought about this combination before. So there is something in it. So for a while, I was believe I, I believe that you know innovation is something what it did at research. It was impossible, and now it is possible, and that's the only proper innovation. Everything else is just you know putting things together. Mm. But over time, I, I started to appreciate really putting things together in a new way. That, that's definitely there is definitely value in this and it could be very innovative yeah. so from innovation and we have geeked out over that topic already a couple of uh, calls at least unrecorded unfortunately it's like there's always the questions like how do you measure innovation so what what is your way of thinking on how to measure innovation i would very rudely answer this question with a question why would you like to measure innovation? I'm a big believer in what Douglas Hubbard wrote in his book, How to Measure Everything. 
or anything. I can't really remember the title properly, but really <laughs> recommend this book. It's, it's amazing. It's a very easy read for such a difficult subject. And then he says, you should measure things if they help you take a decision, right? Otherwise, if you measure, you know, clicks on your web page or, you know, downloads of your podcast, just for the sake of it, I mean, it's clearly kind of a vanity metrics. Absolutely. You may do this to, to feel good and that's perfectly fine, but if it doesn't help you take a decision, so for example, if you are not adjusting your, I don't know, communication methods or, you know, invite smarter guests than me, then uh, the podcast will be more popular. You know, any kind of decision that is informed by measurement is it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah. So to answer that question, I would need to know why would you like to see innovation? And then we'll probably quickly drift into question of measuring the value of your innovative solutions or of your solutions in the first place. And that is definitely an interesting field because it's far from obvious, but just measuring uh, innovation, if I put now uh, my professional hat, I would say, let's talk because there is something behind this question that you didn't tell me and let me try to pull it out from you. <laughs> so working with a lot of corporations, now you're back as well in a corporation. There's always the, the thing is like, I was just talking the, the other day uh, with Justin from Starbucks and, and he was explaining that large corporations need to have innovation to get moving because they lost a little bit the entrepreneurship way of thinking. And then it's always the question, but what is innovation? How do you define innovation? And then as well, on top of that, what, how do you measure? Because what get, gets measured gets done. So there's always a question. I see that a lot with my clients. And I, I know that you're an expert in a way of how you do that. So what would be good is if you could explain it's like, What is your way of helping companies to measure innovative movements, innovation, and ways of thinking innovative? And, and of course, then it's, it, it's going towards the value and so on. Yeah, yeah. So the, the best way to start this kind of conversation, just to dig in what exactly mm -hmm. this innovation means for your client or your partner, the oldest question in the book is why? Or you can rephrase it a little bit and saying, how would you know that your company is more innovative now than it used to be? Or how do you know it's that we lost this innovation, this uh, entrepreneurial spirit, whatever you, you frame this, how do we know that it's less than it used to be? Because clearly you want to alter the course. So must something must have triggered you that we are worse off than we used to be. And basically this is where I would start hunting down what their definition of innovation is. Because as we discussed a little bit uh, before, it, it's such a broad term, especially yeah. these days. It could mean anything, right? Yeah. If it's a company that innovates, uh, that uh, iterates quickly, like, you know, product as a service or something like this, maybe for them innovation could mean, you know, how quickly are we going to iterate and put new features in? But maybe for something like, I don't know, GE, General Electric, that would be that our R&D division has to produce more money. So, yeah, there is al it's always worth to try to ask why or how would you know that it's better or worse just to get to the definition of that person who is asking you this question. Because if you just put your definition of innovation or speed or money or whatever over somebody else's, it's amazing thing will happen. Yeah. You agree or disagree? 
then you will talk a little bit, that you will agree. Once you start working together, once you are down to this particular decision, do we go left or right, it will explode again and you will, know, know, you will not know why. And the reason is most of the time, the definition of that thing that you are improving was different to, to start with. Yeah. How, how do you approach this now in your new job, working with strategies in, in, in a new conversation? And you don't need to go into like all the details on how you do that in that company, but just to elaborate that others understand your ways of thinking on going mm -hmm. into that. Yeah. So the way of thinking is uh, simple, which is not the same as easy. So it's one of those things that is as simple as in, you know, a number of, of steps. But each of these, some of these steps are more difficult than, than others. And the, the shortest way I could describe this is that if you are thinking about be the strategy of a company or a direction that you want to get your product or anything like this, it's, I want to say always, do I want to hedge to usually? No, I'm gonna like go for it. It's always kind of multi-dimensional a little bit. Because the first thing that comes to mind is like, you know, money, because if you are in a business context, money is, is, is a good measure of your success. But if you optimize only money, then what happens? It's the same thing if a, if a really well fun and a good company enters the, the stock market. You see their portfolio shrinking, they're trying to squeeze and squeeze more money from, from, uh, from their business, mm. and the best people start to leave. So th there is clearly more than one uh, aspect that you want to improve and money is the most obvious one. And you have a chief financial officer or someone from your PMO who will take care of that. But another aspect is you want to have good people on board, mm -hmm. right? So you have to make sure that, you know, the right people come to you, that your, the hiring is good and the good people that you have on board, they, they don't leave. You probably have something about wider responsibility towards either your community or or the country or your partners. So there, there will be something there, for example, that I don't know, you are not going to be cheating on taxes, probably you should <laughs> too much, unless you are a really big company, but that's another story. Let's not go there, right? There is whole area of user experience. So you want your clients not only to pay you as much as possible, but they are for them to be, you know, happy with your product, preferably long after the purchase. So they tell other people about your product, so you don't have to put so much money into marketing. And if you are thinking about these ideas around, you know, long-term satisfaction of your clients and users, that is in opposition to making as much money as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. right? Because you have to build maybe a little bit more quality into this. You have to run your customer service. This is cost. There, is, there are these kind of arrows pointing in all different directions, and you have to basically keep an eye on all of them, because if one of them is clearly not working, it doesn't matter how good you are on the other five or six, because this one will basically kill you. If all your good people leave, you are dead. If you are not making money, you're dead, right? If yeah. your clients are not happy, you're dead. So the thinking is you figure out, the first step is to Think who about all the people and groups who are your stakeholders. So the people or group and the difference between people and groups is maybe is probably tied to the scale of the thing you are thinking about. If you are thinking about the small project inside a company, you will have people. If you are thinking about the strategy for coming of the company, 
Some of them will be groups like your customers, and maybe you will split them into number of you know subgroups. Mm. So you need a list of of these stakeholders. So these are people who you will influence with your decisions, with your product or a service. Also, groups or people who will inf influence you. If you think about the law, I mean, you clearly will be influenced by that, and probably you have someone in your company who is making sure that you are still, you know, working within the legal uh, boundaries. Yeah. So you make a list of those, which is an exercise on its own. And then uh, we come to the definition of a value that I like to use. And I define value as how well you serve the needs of all these stakeholders, right? Because your lawyer has to be happy, your finance guy should be happy, your customer should be happy, your colleagues, you know, the idea is that the, the more all of them are happy, the more val valuable is your, your solution or a product or whatever. Or if you are deciding between two decisions, they will influence them somehow. And one will, you know, make them happier than the other. Hopefully. <laughs> how, how do you measure this happy happiness? That's really the tricky part. I mean, that's, that's the easy, but the difficult part. So once you have a person and you figure out what their needs are, most of the time they will tell you, but sometimes you have to really kind of pull it from them. Sometimes you have to put your, the whole your kind of research machine on this. There is still a, a possibility of falling to the trap because we might not be uh, specific enough about expressing these needs. So, so if I say that this podcast that we are uh, recording now, it has to be successful. Let me put it differently. You, as the owner of this podcast, you would like this podcast to be, podcast to be successful. Mm. And again, it could mean different things for you than it means for me. Yeah. Yeah. So the trick here is put a number on it. You don't really have to measure it immediately, but just if we discuss about, uh, you know, if we'd like to, you know, change something on this podcast, discussing how would we measure that the podcast is good or bad would really make it very specific and unambiguous what we mean by this. Yeah. And this is the tricky part. So, you know, put a number on this. How would you precisely know if its podcast is more successful next month that it was successful this and now if you think about a number of ideas or solutions that you choose from, then you, you might now start really thinking very clearly, if I take this decision, so if I invite Wukash to this podcast, will it improve this? Yeah. For example, suppose we measure the, uh, the, the quality by the number of likes. Hmm. Would it improve the number of likes without me doing anything? Yes or no? And now you can think, you know, who the hell is this? Who the hell is this guy? What's his network? Is he going to advertise on his own? You know, is the theme really interesting enough? Then you can have very precise reasoning. And if you have a number of the stakeholders and you have their needs expressed in a something that you could precisely reason about, you could bounce this idea against each and every need of this person. And then if you add it up, it's a value of this of this solution, right? If it has mm -hmm. like a lot of positives for uh, many of these groups or uh, particular stakeholders, it's more valuable. It could be more costly, but then we go to the next step. This is return on investment, right? So you have a value 
most people are really good in uh, estimating the cost. And then you can define, divide one by the other, and you suddenly have a very interesting definition of return on investment. Mm. So it's not return on investment from a money perspective, it's return on investment, including the value perspective. Yes. Where, where you can have basically an, a discussion within your team or within your organization of saying, hey, that's the value we can we get out of this, and that's the money that costs us or the, uh, the return we will get from a money perspective. Is it worth it spending more money to get that value or the other way around? Yeah. yeah. Especially that money could be, you know, if you if you are making a product for a company, your financial guy will be a stakeholder and there will be money there like explicitly in one of this, you know, reasoning kind of, on one of the cross section, they will be strictly about money, but it won't be very abstract thing, you know, more money or less money, but you will go to this financial guy and you figure out whether he needs a short-term return or a long-term return. Mm. Or maybe mm. he needs basically a percentage bump in a percentage in a very specific niche, you're going to make him happy. I mean, I, I found it from an angle different than most of the people, like my wife, she's working in, uh, in experience design. They, by definition, quite often want to make people happy and they have ways to do this. But if I go to my stakeholders, even if they are really tough people, you know, maybe they don't want to give me money. If I can show them that I really want to satisfy their needs, I mean, I will have all the green lights, at least to think about it. Maybe my idea is wrong, but you will have their engagement and they will definitely engage with you because, you know, you're out there to make their life better. Who doesn't like that? Definitely. And the interesting part is, I mean, we have spoken, I don't know if, if it's a year ago, at least seven, eight, nine months ago, where we, mm. where we basically took a session where we went into all the details Excel-wise. I have taken this with a large corporation where we looked at that for them And we took their strategy and building the strategy into like the Excel version of what you just explained and which helped them to decide, oh, maybe that's not the right thing which we should put <laughs> into the strategy. So yeah, we, it, it sounds nice from a wording perspective, but it doesn't help our business. So it, it was as well kind of interesting for me as an, as an external to see, hey, they're taking a basic understanding or a different understanding, let's say like this, than they have always used to yep. validate their strategy, which then they changed the strategy. They measured things differently, which, which helps the company to move into a different direction. That's, that's yep. why I'm so interested about this. And, and, and maybe for some listeners, it's, it's very detailed already, but I think that's, if you lift that out again, it's, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity for you to understand where do you want to shift your business and how do you measure that value including the cost perspective, which you always should, should do in a, yeah. in a combined way. Yeah. And that's actually, when you are doing this, amazing things happen. And this is why I've been at it for, for many years, because it's always put a, put a smile on my face. So what you described, that happens always, right? Mm -hmm. Once we figure out, you know, those, those needs and the stakeholders, we filter, filter them down to like 10. That's enough. I mean, that's more than anyone have ever precisely thought of. So it doesn't have to be a huge list. And then we run their current kind of, or the upcoming portfolio through this. And there is always, always this case when someone steps up and says, all right, I know I have been supporter of this idea, but now when I look at it, okay, let's 
let's do this later because you are not killing ideas you're just shifting them in time yeah and you see them with the they at the meeting with the heavy heart it was my baby that now when i look at this kind of objectively a little bit more objectively that's better way to say i i see it's not worth doing and they will also discover like really low hanging fruits yeah. again always like you know i did this probably close to a hundred times by now mostly with small companies they said hey that thing let's do this tomorrow before we continue this workshop i mean yeah. i mean why didn't we do this 100 agree that's that's why i use it in 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 my businesses as well in in different ways and even in my coaching practice where i help companies to understand it at least from a high level so i always say okay how do you build your business gps what what is your navigation system what is the point where you want to be and that can be from a vision perspective but it also needs to be from a numbers perspective because they will guide you like you drive your car with the, let's say google maps to find out where you want to be or how to get there but you need yeah. to understand where you want to be first because just starting to drive with google on doesn't help you so yeah, exactly. I, I think the, the value of this way of thinking is it works for large multi-international corporation and it, in the same way it works for startups or one person companies freelancers just to get your way of thinking into a direction of say okay that's that's the value i'm seeking and that's the re return on invest from a money perspective. And now I can build a measurement to understand that in, in depth of how do I balance that out over time? Yeah. The best example I came up with when uh, trying to explain the value of this, of this way of thinking to people who are not yet, you know, the business strategies and whatnot, no. was a mental exercise like this. Try to think of holidays you would organize for you, your partner, your parents, and your in-laws. You all go together on holidays, but you can design this experience. I mean, very naturally, we all will fall back into, okay, like I'm, now I'm, of course, using the kind of stereotype that your in-laws are, one of the in-laws is a kind of person that you have, you know, not such a great relationship. <laughs> so let's stick to this stereotype. You think, oh, you know what my parents and my in-laws, what each of those few people like and just try to, you know, find something that satisfies at least some, all of them, at least to some extent. It's exactly the same thinking. Yeah. And I think what is important, because some people might think it's like you're watering things down and you're just going with the average everywhere. I think it's that's that's definitely not the case. It's mm -hmm. like more deciding on what values and what are the points which are really important for you and your business to be able to take decisions and not compromising on them. Because that's often the case when you go, yeah, let's agree here and there, and then we meet in the middle, then it's like you're not moving anything. Actually, if, if you want to get one level deeper, there, is, there are two other aspects that come into play. But before I do this, there is, there is another huge value when you start doing this. Again, I had it every time when we went through the exercise, the team, because you do this normally with a group of people, quite often, well, sometimes I did this with a kind of a solo entrepreneur, but most often there is a, a few people who have to agree on stuff. By the end of this kind of workshop thinking, they will feel aligned like never before. Yeah. And there is a huge value in this. So what you said about driving, you know, with, with map, 
they know they share this destination and they also know why they want to get there. And the magic is actually not so much in the numbers, but or or this spreadsheet that you can build, but in the discussion around it. But once you are past this point, as you say, it's not about averaging out, because there is a very important notion that we don't enough credit, which is quality that is good enough. Mm-hmm. So if you look from the psychological point of view, there is something which is called, I think, I don't know how it's called officially. There is a kind of a threshold. And if if you get quality very broadly defined that is below this threshold, you are annoyed. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. You, you dislike it. You are disappointed. Once you hit it, it's kind of okay. And then if you go above it, then only you get people's attention. Wow, this is not what I... It's, it's better than I expected. Expectations are part of this, uh, of this game. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the problem is that human brains is uh, evolved in, uh, you know, savannas and prairies. We react to danger unpleasantness much stronger than to something which is good or okay or even amazing so there is there was a study and i don't remember exactly what the number is but it's roughly if you disappoint your customer once so if you hit once before the 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 kind of comfort threshold on any axis you have to exceed their their expectations four or five or seven, whatever the number is, times until they consider you kind of okay again. You are not great. You are okay. So the the payback has to be way bigger than the disappointment. So if you think about it, if you average everything out, it doesn't make sense. You have to get all your qualities, again, broadly defined, so these levels of satisfaction all of them, at least at this comfort level, that you don't annoy people, you don't, you know, piss them off in the worst case. And then you can start strategically building your competitive advantage, something that people will be spreading, you know, the words off. You're great because of this or that, but you have to, you know, remove the annoyances. Right? If you think of your bank or your telecom provider, let me guess. Most often than not, they disappoint you, even though there are many of the services are great. But most people say, ah, you know, my bank sucks. How about, you know, this great app? Yeah, yeah, this app is great. But, you know, that part, that sucks. I don't care about the rest. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And that's that's often so underlooked and in specifically large corporations where they just say, ah, nobody will care about this. People care. Yeah, I I agree. Like, if you don't focus enough on your customers and the feedback on the customers, you will always suffer long term. And maybe if you're big, then you can afford it, but long term it will hurt you. If you are small, you 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 will be bankrupt if you don't. Yeah. To your point, maybe just to jump in, I I still remember when 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 we talked first time about this. I was prototyping it with my team in the consultancy I was working at that time. And, and we exactly did did this as a prototype. And, mm-hmm. and the common ground was like, we all have been aligned after this. So it was the management team and everyone was aligned on, hey, these are the priorities. These are the values we are after. And this as well, we have used it a bit like who is who is responsible for which driver of the KPIs of the different measurements. And then was fairly easy to say, okay, that's your, you're the owner of this KPI and you're driving it and everyone is contributing. So, but if if they're not contributing, you're the person who needs to drag them in. 
again. So it was like you said, 100% alignment possibility yeah. as well. It's, it's a like great feeling once you're aligned with your team like that. Yeah, that sounds, yeah, of course you should do that. But it's just, <laughs> I mean, we both have been out there. It's, it's just not happening too often. Of course you have to exercise. Of course you have to eat healthy. Of course yeah. you have to think what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, work and discipline. I'm sorry, there is no other way. Changing the topic, I think we, we both can geek out more into oh, yeah. the measurement things, but, but change, changing the topic a little bit. Tell us a bit about your podcast. What are you doing and, and, and what, what is it about? Oh, the podcast. Uh, that's also an interesting story because I wasn't at the beginning part of that podcast. So my wife started it with Werner. You might have met him or not. Yeah, I've had him on the show even. Ah, yeah, of course. And they wanted to explore it from a designer point of view. And designer, again, designer who... It's not about products, it's wider. They, they went with basically designing experiences. One of the first episodes with Joe Pine explains exactly what that means. So I, I, I won't go into this. But then Werner, I think he, he joined one of the big companies, I think. And he basically had, you know, had other priorities, couldn't be part of this. So Aga asked me, why won't you join? And then I thought about it, say, okay, I'll join, but we have to go broader than just design. <laughs> yeah. And if you think it was design in a very broad sense, you know, you're designing corporate, you can design an organization, an experience, a product, a service, then it comes closer to, for example, what, what we are discussing. Mm. So you go really, really wide. But so we release in seasons, and every season has a theme. So mm. we are now towards the end of uh, producing season eight, which is about intuition. Mm. So for the season, we take a kind of very abstract and broad theme. And we just, you know, try to get some interesting people to weigh in. And we are always surprised where it goes. I mean, it's, you know, it's like by now I'm used to it. We, at the beginning, we record our kind of expectations. We discuss a little bit. Yeah. Then we had eight interviews with very different people. We have, you know, engineers. We have artists. We have actors, writers, you know, like anyone, photographers. Anyone really. And then, you know, we, we just discuss with them. It's very kind of free flowing. We don't script it. We're just very curious what that person thinks about mm. this theme. And sometimes the connection is very kind of loose. Sometimes it's really on the point. And then the last episode of the, so the 10th episode of the season, me and Aga, we just, you know, reflect on what happened and how narrow minded and wrong we were when we were thinking about this uh, theme. <laughs> So it's always 10 podcasts in one series or? Yes. Mm. And the season eight, I hope will be finished, will be kind of public, published by the end of January. I hope. January 2021. 2021, yes. In case someone will ever look back in my podcast and (laughs) listen to you. So what what are the other series about? What what did you touch on main topics? Hmm. I would really have to think back. Uh, Just a couple of. We did touch innovation for sure. Yeah, I remember. Uh, this one is intuition. Gee, let me look it up because I'm I'm really drawing a blank here. Yeah, we, I will I will put a link in into the show notes so people can 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 look the podcast up and and dive more into it. So 
looking a bit more into innovation again, what do you think is is working with innovation and what's not working? There are a lot of companies out there who are saying it's like you need to have innovation or you shouldn't have innovation as it's something else. And there are a lot of different approaches of mm -hmm. what what is innovation, how you work with innovation. I always see like a lot of people think innovation is a process. Other people are saying innovation is a behavior. So that's a bit the other extreme. So what what do you think is is working with that and what is not working with it? That's a toughie. What is definitely killing an innovation is if you put too much constraints on the people, on the teams, or on the company. And those constraints, like we said about the alignment, mm. if we go all the way with this alignment and we try to optimize every single part of the company, it will be really lean and mean machine. But, you know, where is this space for innovation? You can really prescribe that. Mm. So I think it's one of the earlier uh, seasons of the podcast. We did talk about it with someone. And it seems that this innovation, however we define it, it's like a breakaway or even the incremental one. Mm. You need a very specific setup for, for it to be able to basically emerge. You cannot mm. really manage it in or you can manage it out easily, but you cannot create it. Mm. You basically have to set up a context and an environment in, in which it will kind of spontaneously happen. And this, the recipe seems to be that you need a defined kind of a playing field. So you do put boundaries and quite heavy constraints about, for example, what we are thinking about, right? So if I'm now in a company which does parametric furniture, we are, and we do have quite a lot of uh, R&D uh, activities, we are not exploring you know new ways to grow cauliflower that's definitely makes sense out of scope right so that's i mean these are enabling constraints yeah so you define a field and then basically you have to put people there and make them interact with one another in these days when we have you know most of people are working remote i'm not sure how to do this but basically, you need this interaction because this innovation, it sparks, it happens on a, basically on a collision between two brains most of the time, like, in a, like way than 99, were more than 99%. If cases, this is like, doesn't have to be appropriation, like, you know, a person from like one department talks to another and they, you know, copy and tweak the solution, but just even two perspectives, people from the same field. They will exchange this and maybe not together, maybe later, you know, when they are walking their dog or under the shower, they say, ah, Eureka. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's the way it's really the way to go about it. You need basically time space for this and it will happen. And of course you cannot prescribe what exactly will come out of this, because if you could, that would be innovation. That would be something that you design. So that seems to be the only way. And if you listen to Alan Kai, he has a, quite a few really good lecture, lectures, presentations on YouTube. The guy of, from Alan Kai from Xerox Park. Mm -hmm. So the place of breakaway innovation, the best we, we had so far in history. He basically says the same thing. That, that's, how you, that's how you do innovation. In their context, it was very specific breakaway and technical one, mm -hmm. but it, it's, it is still the same uh, the same pattern so if you structure everything and you basically don't have this space where this random collisions between brains happen it just has no chance 
100 agree for me there's a lot of culture in that so you need oh, to yeah. create like like basically you need to unable people to open up and empower them to to be able to have collisions and as well to have the freedom of trying things out in different ways so slowly getting towards an end um if you could work on an innovative project which will Im impact the whole world like everyone every human being on the whole planet will, <laughs> will, oh my gosh will, will will be attached to that or will benefit from it what what, what would it be Honestly, and something within my reach, I would like to have people smarter than me around me and to, to do something about spreading this way of thinking that we just discussed throughout the world. That would require a really clever tools around this. Mm -hmm. So this thinking that we just went through, you know, like figuring out, you know, the stakeholders that's easy, but their needs that is tricky and then filtering down, putting together and this kind of spreadsheet matrix to make this approachable. So you could start very easily and without too much kind of learning curve. And once you get the feeling for it, then you can expand and fill in more details if you need, because maybe, you know, just a basic thing would be enough. Mm -hmm. And this coupled with a good wording and, you know, I don't want to say marketing because it's like a, has with many people has a bad connotation, but market in the proper sense, you know, yeah. telling people how it can help them. I think that could be the biggest impact that I could have. And I was trying to go there with this, uh, with my freelancing work, but I was basically, you know, very limited resources. So hmm. my quiet bet is that we have a, such a success with this company. A little, so I hope to follow this trajectory that uh, Spotify did with their like big organization scheme, the, the Spotify model, even though they say, please do not copy this model. I would like to take this further with this company and maybe make a, a good example of this, how it was put together and, you know, rolled out and hopefully people, more people basically adapted. That's the best I can contribute. That's cool. So looking ahead, where, where will you be in a year from now? A year from now, I still hope to be with this uh, company, <laughs> with Tilco. But I hope this in a year from now, I don't think we will be yet an example of how well it can run, fueled by, among others, this idea, because we are putting a little, a few more kind of, you know, ingredients, and we just want to see how all of them together work. So I don't think we'll be there in a year, but in a year and a half, max two, I hope to be able to, to be ready to sharing, look, these are the pieces, this is how they interlock, this is how they worked for us. Do copy it. Yeah, yeah. That would be great. That would be awesome. How do you get yourself informed and, and like inspired from other people, from other perspectives? That really depends a lot on what's going on. And uh, it's funny that you asked this. I was thinking about this just, you know, like last week. Mm. Before I joined this company, I was really focused on this uh, VBD, value-based decisions, how, uh, how I call it. And I was starting to think, am I, too, am I thinking too narrowly? There is still a lot to explore, like with the tooling, as I tell you, with the marketing, the proper words around this and trying to get some, you know, impact out of this. But it, it touches so many other fields that I was a little bit worried 
if I'm not too narrow, becoming not too much of a narrow-minded person, and how to, and I'm losing the sight how to connect it with with other things. But the tricky part was difficult for me to pick an interesting place to start, you know, widening this. I know I could connect it to management on a, on a number of different levels, maybe to startups, maybe I could try to connect with Eric Ries's work, you know, mm-hmm. add stuff to his MVP idea to make it a little bit more informed. For example, there were all these avenues. I just was difficult to pick one. What definitely helped me was this podcast that we, that we are running mm. because the people who are there are really great. I mean, we are so lucky to have them. And, you know, these conversations, they always like open something in my head. But once I joined the company, when I see it in action from the inside, not as a consultant, but from the inside, it much more naturally connects to other things. Mm-hmm. So my way of thinking is I don't like curiosity. For me, it's the other way around. How do I limit this? So I'm guiding my curiosity. You know, I have this thing. And now if I, I put only this, what else is missing? Mm-hmm. What would other things have to kind of connect and combine with these ideas? And this is where I start digging in. And these days it's about finding the right information, not about having access to it. I mean, all the knowledge is yeah. out there. I mean, you know, sci- even scientific publications these days are available if you are not with the university, you know, YouTube is great if you know what you look for. Podcasts like yours, I mean, full of inspirations. And also, they most often, they're not, they contain pointers if you want to dig deeper. Yeah, true. So these are great. It's, it's, it's way more efficient to even spend an hour or two going through a, a few recordings like, you know, audio only or audio and video on YouTube. And then you, it's like, like skimming a book, but yeah. someone does it for you. Yeah. And then this aspect and that aspect, I want to dig in. And then you can go down the rabbit hole. I agree. That's that's a perfect point as well to end our conversation. I think that's something I, I will work as well further on to dig more, like all the different nuggets you said, putting links into the show notes to so that people are able to find, like like you mentioned the book, How to Measure Anything, like this kind of things I will definitely put into the show notes so people can look it up. Where can people find you? How can people reach out to you if they say, hey, this value-based decisions is is something interesting for me and I would like to talk to Lukas and understand more about that? The best way is through LinkedIn. That's the natural way. And I I got my, you know, little alarm if someone really gets in touch. I I build a web page, try to condense this knowledge. It's called here, valuebaseddecisions.com. There is also a shorter version. It's called vbd.works. VBD works. Yeah. It will get you to the, yeah. to the same page. And that page is meant as a starting point. Well, I, my idea was to also dig deeper, but you know, a new company career shift. If you want to dig deeper, you can definitely go for Tom Gilb and his method called Evo, mm. EVO, Evo, evolutionary product management. I always forget what the P stands for. But be aware that Tom's, Tom's stuff is on a very deep end. So mm-hmm. I learned a lot from him. This whole basically uh, way of thinking is distilled from his, uh, from his wisdom. I'm just trying to make it more approachable, you know, slightly different. I put emphasis in different places. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. want to go deep, both Tom and his son Kai Gilbs are 
the the sources uh, of this stuff. And if you have any questions in between those two words, hit me. I'm on uh, also on Twitter at DLS6. That's probably yeah. the easiest. I will put it into the show notes, the links so people can find. Thank you. Cool. Thank you very much, Lucas, for your time. Appreciate it. it was Always fun talking, talking to, you. to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Jens again. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you have listened to, please subscribe to the podcast and share the episodes with your friends and people you think might like it too. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, please follow me on social media or look me up at jensheitland.com. Thank you very much and see you in the next episode.